0: Welcome to this episode of Inside the NCAA, the AMA Experience. My name is Chris Johnson, and I'm Associate Director for Academic and Membership Affairs. Our goal is to provide you insight on what we in AMA encounter on a daily basis. We will have subject matter experts from the national office and within the membership to discuss hot topics affecting all three NCAA divisions. For today's episode, we're going to discuss the NCAA Transfer Portal and National Letter of Intent Program with Susan Peel, Director of Governance. For the sake of simplicity throughout this podcast you may hear me reference 4.4, which means four-year college to four-year college student athlete transfer susan welcome to indianapolis it's great to see you today how you doing
1: thank you chris uh, thank you for the invitation i'm a big fan of your podcast so i'm excited to be here
0: long time listener first time guest i appreciate that so let's talk real quick before we dive into the transfer portal uh, let's talk about your background. Uh, how did you come to the NCAA and then really ultimately get involved with the NCA transfer portal?
1: Yes. You know, when I think about it, I, I think I'm pretty fortunate to have the professional experiences that I've had. You know, I started my professional career as a Division I assistant women's basketball coach and moved uh, into athletic administration, which was always my ultimate goal um, to move from coaching to Athletic Administration. So I had that opportunity also at a Division I institution and uh, also, you know, besides oversight of the compliance office, you know, and that was a a new professional field actually uh, for for those that um, don't track on uh, compliance because, you know, now it just seems like you know, every institution has a compliance office with multiple staff members, and uh, it was it was new. It was a new profession when I got involved, so I'm showing my age there. Uh, but uh, it was an exciting time uh, in collegiate athletics, and I was also able to take on other responsibilities where I was a senior woman administrator. And through that evolving, uh, I had the opportunity then to uh, come to the national office and, you um, I started my work in academic and membership affairs. It had a different name at that time, but uh, still, still the same. Dealing with uh, all divisions, Division One, Two, and Three, um, as you very well know, all the work that's involved in academic and membership affairs. We had a much smaller staff at that time, uh, just doing it all, and um, you know, working with the the committees through the governance process. So I had that opportunity, again, in academic and membership affairs, spent many years uh, there, went back to campus and um, was involved uh, again in, in Division I athletics. And then I came back to the national office. And that uh, was at the point where um, the transition of the National Letter of Program to the the uh, day-to-day administration um, at, at the NCAA national office occurred, so helped in that transition and getting that up and running, and um, so that that was how I landed with the the NLI program. So I have oversight of that, and um, it's been an amazing can't believe 16 years of um, of oversight of the NLI program, and then. Uh, As far as my involvement in the transfer portal, um, you know, as many know, the transfer portal um, was enacted in 2018 when the legislation in Division I changed from permission of contact to notification of transfer. And we needed to have a compliance system to manage the transfer process and provide transparency for our coaches to be able to check if they can uh, or cannot permissibly speak to a student athlete, and that was that was the transfer portal, um, in what we all know as today. And so it's it's amazing that we're actually entering our sixth year of existence of the transfer portal. And there's there's a lot of people that don't know what life was like uh, before the transfer portal. And I know we'll probably dig a little bit deeper into that. Uh, so uh, yeah, that that's kind of my my path. Um, into my career and uh, how it's progressed over the years. Yeah, thank you,
0: Susan, for, for sharing that that background. Um, we're gonna talk about two of those pieces. Uh, up first will be the the NCA Transfer Portal. What What is it and, and why was it developed?
1: Yeah, as I mentioned, it was developed out of uh, a need because of a legislative change. But um, what a lot of people don't understand with the background, because again, as I mentioned, it's been around for six years. It's just you know what we know today is that um, really I started working you know with with. Those in the in the compliance profession um, in our membership uh, a couple years prior to 2018 and trying to develop a system that our compliance administrators could use to manage the day to day work of transfers um, because it uh, there's a lot involved with it from the compliance office. And um, at that time when there was discussion regarding um, eliminating permission to contact and replacing that with notification of transfer, I was ready with the solution um, because we had already started that process of working with this compliance system to manage uh, transfers. So it was really easy to jump in there and and, uh, hit the ground running when we needed to when the legislation was adopted. So... It is. The thing I wanna stress is it was developed as a compliance system to manage the transfer process. It still is that way today. Um, I think a lot of um, misunderstandings exist with the transfer portal, especially with everything that people see on social media and and with the recruiting and how student athletes are, you know, turning to social media to announce that they're transferring. (laughs) And so that's just opened up a lot of what uh, a lot of the misinformation is with the transfer portal, because really the only reason a coach has access to it is to check to see if they can permissibly be in contact uh, with that student athlete. And and coaches really do have limited information and that's that's on purpose um, because that's the only reason they have access. Now, obviously compliance administrators have a wealth of information because they're the ones that are gonna certify that student athlete who may be transferring uh, to their institution. Um, so, you know, like I said, if, if anything, um, you know, don't believe everything you see uh, on uh, TV or uh, out in the media about what the transfer portal is, um, because, again, there's it, it is a compliance system.
0: And now, Susan. Is it actually a portal or is it a database?
1: It uh, Well, you could say both, um, you know, because from the database standpoint, it does contain a lot of data um, that we use um, to analyze for educated decisions on uh, if there needs to be any uh, modifications or new proposals of uh, you know, the transfer legislation. But the reason it's a portal is because, you um, again, how our compliance administrators use it. I mean, there's a lot of interaction within that portal um, it be, because there's a lot of information that compliance administrators enter into the portal and then what they get out of it. And there's actually communication um, that's involved directly through the, the portal with email responses um that uh, whenever, for example, any updates occur, there's emails flying, you know, back and forth. Um, that is all generated through the actual system. So that's why it is a portal because it is two-way communication uh, and two-way entry um, with the, the, the information that is in there. And then, like I said, obviously we pull data out of out of the portal,
0: and it's really made uh, I, I would say communication between compliance offices a lot easier. Um, the first institution really can put all of the information related to academics, uh, whether or not they'll meet the one-time transfer exception, uh, but it also made the communication for compliance offices a lot easier, and you really alluded to that. As someone who lived in the permission to contact days and sending out those individual forms to individual schools, uh, I tip my cap to you for developing this. this. It was certainly helpful for when I was on campus and even now when I'm at the national office, being able to have all that information readily available. I do think it's important, you, you briefly touched on it. The information that's there, we're not going to find 40 times bench press, you know, any any athletic data, right?
1: That is correct. There are no athletic attributes, no recruiting per se information that's actually in the transfer portal. And that's the, the big misconception because there's a lot of transfer portals out there. Um, if you just uh, Google, you'll find them. But those are you know recruiting companies um, that are putting that information out. And so I always try to stress uh, to our student athletes that that actually is not the NCAA transfer portal because uh, the first alert is there's no athletic information actually um, contained in, in the transfer portal.
0: And you referenced to a little bit ago about the coaches, uh, whether or not they're able to see the transfer portal data Uh, Why is that important for coaches to be able to to see that data or recognize when someone is in the transfer portal?
1: Yeah, It's important because of the rule change with notification of transfer. You you mentioned it. You lived in the permission to contact world. And in that world, it was, uh, you know, institutions could or could not grant that permission. And then it was the compliance administrator just telling the coach, you can't talk to the student athlete. This other institution has not granted that. And so with, with coaches now, um, be able to have that visibility, that, that cuts out one step right there where they could just look in the transfer portal, see, is the name there? Can I have uh, contact with that that student? Or that student may have reached out to the coach, um, and then the coach looks to see, okay, can I permissibly um, communicate with you in, in seeing that information in the transfer portal? So it really has cut out some of those layers. It's streamlined the process. Um, and, and hopefully it did what the goal was to reduce the administrative burden on campus um, for you know, everything involved with, with transfers. Yeah. And, and really,
0: those coaches are able to, to see if a student athlete has entered the transfer portal. It's not necessarily just an announcement on, on, on um, Twitter or, or X now or Instagram uh, saying, hey, I'm in the transfer portal. Coaches should be using the transfer portal to ensure that those student athletes are there. And that's really to, to help kind of prevent the four year college transfer tampering pre, previous to entering into the transfer portal. Um, now, talk to us a little bit about um, the dates of the transfer portal and, and, and working through some of those dates for sports specific and, and why that's necessary
1: you know, what's interesting again, probably another uh, misinformation about the transfer portal, it's used by all three divisions, division one, two, and three. And all three divisions have different legislative requirements. Um, And it's built like that uh, to assist them with whatever rules they have. Uh, Division one has gone the direction to actually have the transfer windows. And uh, therefore, you know, student athlete uh, cannot be entered into the the transfer portal unless it's for their sport, within their sport specific window. Um, Now, there are some few exceptions to that. Um, But yeah, that that was a decision um, that was made by our membership for uh, a little more stability uh, in in looking at the transfer environment and what we learned. Uh, Again, data driven. Uh, when we look at when are the, the most common timeframes for each sport when entry was occurring in the transfer portal. And our, uh, our membership really looked at that data and made those decisions based off of um, what are those timeframes, uh, what, what's right for the, not only you know, the student athlete, but for the coach trying to manage that roster, trying to manage uh, their distribution of financial aid. Um, So, you know, and and that could be an ever-evolving, you know, or evolving, um, you know, concept uh, and looking at that because, again, we're we're fortunate with the transfer portal to be able to pull that data out and to be able to tell uh, what works and what doesn't work and, uh, you know, and make those educated decisions.
0: And I think it's really important, and and you and I have had conversations before, and especially with my work as, as well in the transfer space, that data is important. Um, But there is also there's a collaborative effort with with our campuses as well to make sure that we have accurate data. Um, Talk to us about what are there's some help we can get from our campuses about um, making sure that data is accurate for decision
1: making going forward. That's a that's a great question, because, yeah, the data is only as good as uh, what our compliance offices uh, manage within that data and and enter that information. So it is so important that once that record is entered into the transfer portal, that now compliance, they manage it from start to finish. And the finish is when that student athlete actually does transfer. Um, to, to the next institution, and then it's the responsibility of that receiving institution's compliance office to update the information. So that is the key, is making sure that our institutions take on that responsibility um, to manage that data and make sure it's accurate because we rely on that. And, and like you said, we, we have a lot of committees that rely on that data. It's data we never had before. We never knew much about the transfer environment before the transfer portal. I mean, we didn't track how many permission to contacts, which is really the same as entry into the transfer portal, how many letters, you know, I know when I was on campus, yes, I was sending out permission to contact letters all the time. I was filling out transfer tracers all the time, but we had no uh, way to track that and know what do those numbers look like. So we we really can't even say, has it really changed since that time? Because we don't have any um, comparison. And so it, it, it's just so important that that information is, is accurate, um, not only from a data uh, standpoint but I mean that's the information about the this the student athlete for example in the transfer tracer that that institution where the students transferring to has to rely on in certifying their eligibility um, so yes I, I definitely and cannot stress that enough that and it goes back to your portal question that's why it's a portal because you're managing it you're managing a lot of information um, in in the transfer portal that is so valuable to so many people. Um, so, uh, it's, it's definitely something that everybody ought to keep, keep in mind. Yeah.
0: And and I I recognize too, especially coming from campus and as well as you do what's going on in the fall for, for our compliance administrators, it is a lot that's goes on right now. I've lived it too, but it's just so important that that data continues to be updated as, as transfers continues to be a hot topic amongst the membership in the media as well, that, you know, the matriculation, is is done along the way In um, and referencing back to my campus days and something else that you oversee um the national letter of intent program i was around when faxes were were the way the main form of communication for the national letter of intent program it's it's come along quite a ways in the even the 10 plus years that i've been in compliance so uh talk to us about the national letter of intent program and then uh, if there's any updates to keep an eye on
1: yes uh- And I remember all those questions you used to ask me uh, when you were on campus. Um, So appreciate that. And that's what I love about our membership. Um, So, you know, as you mentioned, you know, I also oversee the National Letter of Intent program, and it has definitely evolved over the years, even though it's been around since 1964 and it's governed by the Collegiate Commissioners Association. Uh, That's uh, that part has not changed. Um, But, you know, obviously the day to day administration and as technology and enhancements um, evolve. So so do we uh, w- within the, the NLI um, space. So what we're looking at um, going into this upcoming signing year, which would be those prospective student-athletes that are signing during this 23-24 signing year, they would actually be signing a 24-25 NLI. Um, the, the commissioners most recently have um, developed some exceptions to our NLI penalty um, those are really, really good exceptions. Uh, we've never had NLI penalty exceptions, but again, just like anything, uh, you know, the NLI program is evolving to that. So we'll have our, our first opportunity to see how those exceptions work um, in, in this uh, new uh, NLI signing year. And another that um, they're discussing is the uh, opportunity to have a four-year transfer. Sign an NLI, so they're very supportive of that. Um, it's just a matter of what's the right timing for that to be implemented, um, whether that is for this upcoming year or delayed until next year. Um, so I will have you know new information about that uh, very soon because we are starting the, the NLI signing year uh, that always kicks off in November. Um, so you know those are just a few changes. There's always just little modifications that you know we, we implement um, over over each year but I think those are ones that um, we, we sought out a lot of membership feedback and uh, it was well received on what changes um, might occur with the NLI program moving into the future.
0: Thanks Susan and, and a few times we talked through the national ever intent sometimes called the NLI. Not to be confused with the NIL, completely separate issue, not related to the day, today's podcast. Um, who oversees that NLI program?
1: Yeah, so like I mentioned, the governance of the uh, program is through our Collegiate Commissioners Association, so this the CCA, um, and that's been the same since 1964. Um, and then, um, you know, I oversee the day-to-day administration of the program, but still, through that governance process of the Collegiate Commissioners Association. So the, the biggest difference uh, with um, NCAA legislation or anything related to the national layer of intent is it does not go through the NCAA governance structure. Um, for anything to be adopted. And I think that's where some people might get confused. Now, certainly, um, the commissioners might lean on the committees within the governance structure of the NCAA for feedback. But um, there's nothing that goes through any committee, um, you know, or, you know, through councils or or boards like that. It's all the commissioner's decisions whenever they want to make any changes to the NLI program. So just to
0: summarize, like they have the full kind of control over the, the the processes and policies and procedures of the National Letter of Intent program. However, they, they may kind of dip into the governance structure to you know say, hey, Football Oversight Committee, Men's Basketball Oversight Committee, Women's Basketball Oversight Committee, what are your thoughts on these changes in which those committees can provide the feedback? But generally speaking, the CCA or the Conference Commissioners Association, Uh, really has that autonomy and and that ability to to oversee that National Letter of Intent program. That is exactly right. Interesting. Okay, Susan, thank you so much for taking the time today to talk to us about the NCA Transfer Portal and the National Letter of Intent program. Um, The NCA Transfer Portal has certainly changed over the years uh, and really changed the collegiate landscape. We talked permission to contact and how that evolved into the NCA Transfer Portal and then the the NLI program as well as it's grown. Um, And to our audience, thank you for tuning in to this episode of Inside the NCAA, the AMA experience. Tune in next when we'll have Lydia Bell discuss the NCAA transfer portal data and trends.